0: Is the blue, a the youth, the Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 Ninth Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah contains some very high points in the history of the Old Testament, as you well know. If you're familiar with that Old Testament book, you remember that maybe the most famous high point of that book is when the wall around the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed and gates had been burned was rebuilt. And in fact, it was rebuilt by the work of the people in just 52 days, roughly a little bit less than two months. And that that was done in the face of great opposition, But there is another high point that's found in the latter parts of that book, after the wall was completed. Of course, that rebuilding of the wall and the resetting of the gates was of major importance by way of physical safety. The focus of God for his people has always been primarily on their spiritual safety, on their spiritual walk. And that's what makes Nehemiah chapter 8 such an important chapter. As Ezra the scribe enters the picture, and I really appreciate David reading that scripture with all those weird. I thought he did a good job. I, he did better. And I'm, I'm not going to read any of them tonight, David. So you, you get to take the the brunt of things. Nehemiah chapter eight and verse two tells us that Ezra was a priest, and we know from the book that bears his name, the Book of Ezra, that he was a very faithful man. In fact. Back in that book, Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 gives us a very famous description of him when it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his God's statutes and rules in Israel. That's the one who comes on the scene, if you will, in Nehemiah chapter 8 and reads the law of God. In fact, Nehemiah 8 and verse 2 ends by telling us that he read from early morning until midday and virtually everybody was there. All who could understand the law were present. And the last part that Brother David read to us a moment ago, verse 8, tells us that some of the leaders went among the crowd and gave meaning to the text. They explained what it was that Ezra was reading before the people. And while not everything remained perfect, of course, this is a high point. Because the law of God was front and center and respected. Respect was shown to what God had to say. It's no wonder that in the next several sections of the book of Nehemiah, there is, for example, a proper observance of one of those Old Testament fea- feasts, the Feast of Booze, the first time it's been observed properly for a long, long time. It's no wonder that the people would confess their sins and seek God's forgiveness individually, as well as as a nation. Because when God's word is central to all things that are done, things are all done to please him. People are contrite for their sins. People seek forgiveness and God's ways are followed. But there's something that happens in Nehemiah chapter 8 that I want to use this evening as sort of a, a jumping off point for our lesson. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 4 tells us that Ezra stood on a wooden platform in order to read the law of God. Basically, he got up to where people could see, but also elevated himself so that it would become more of a natural uh, vocal amplification. His voice would carry out across this massive crowd as the law was read. And with that, verse 5 tells us, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people, meaning he stood higher than they did. And as he opened it, All the people stood. They stood. And remember, we had already read in the chapter, or mentioned the chapter, that he read from morning until midday. But as soon as the law of God was opened, the people out of respect stood for what was being read and taught to them. Here's where I want us to go tonight with that thought. Their standing was out of respect for the law, the word of God. And think just for a moment of how many children would have been present at that time. Think about the impression it would have made on these precious young people to see their parents, to see their leaders, to see this community stand up out of respect for the Word of God. And may I ask tonight, do children, specifically do my children, but do children I have any influence over whatsoever, see me standing for the Word of God? We're calling tonight's lesson, When Will We Stand? Because I want to ask each of us who has any influence over parents, over children at all, whether we're parents or grandparents or just those who influence children in a spiritual way by example, do they see us standing, maybe not physically, but standing as it were spiritually for the Word of God? I have failed this afternoon. There is a handout for tonight's lesson. I forgot to set it out. If you would like a handout for the lesson tonight, it's actually in the basket by Christie's office. I just forgot to set them out. I know some of you collect those and keep them. That's on me for not putting them out. But there is one uh, if you would like to have one. But I want us to think tonight about some various areas to ask ourselves, when will children see us stand? First of all, will our children see us stand even When we are in worship and you're thinking, well, of course we will. I mean, here we are, right? And we've even stayed awake this long into the sermon. But that's not what I'm talking about. Deep down, we all know that we can come through the doors of a church building and never really have our heart in what we are doing. And we are fooling ourselves if we don't think that children notice that. John chapter 4 and verse 24 famously reminds us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. So obviously we are. We should expect that the truth part of that will be taken care of because we seek to follow the pattern that God has placed before us in the New Testament of how to worship Him. And those who lead in worship will do our best. Our elders will oversee that. Those who lead in any way will make certain we do that. And yes, it is true that those who have a part in helping us, in other words, those who stand up here to lead a prayer or to lead a song or to preach or whatever, they have a part in that. If the leaders look bored or uninterested, it can take a little extra work on our part to make sure that we are truly engaged in what's going on. I'll grant that, even as one who stands up here quite often. So it's not just me passing the buck. But that said, do our children see us putting forth the effort to be engaged in worship as well? Or are we just here? When I just sit through a song that I don't particularly like, or maybe... The song leader leads a song a little too slowly and I think it wants, wants to be led. Do my children see me just disengaged? Do I ever even open my Bible during worship? Do my children then see that, well, that's just not important, that we actually consider Scripture. We'll just listen to what somebody else has to say about it. But I also want to ask, what about even coming to services? And this is not a church attendance on Sunday night sermon. The point I want to make is, What about when things come in conflict with worship? Do our children see us putting worshiping God first? What about when it's finally family vacation time and we only have a couple of days? Will we take those days just for ourselves? Or will we make the effort to find a congregation of the Lord's people to worship with them? Those types of decisions speak volumes to our children about what we actually stand for. What about when it's time for the championship game and your kid has a place in the starting lineup, but the game is on Sunday night or Wednesday evening? I sometimes hear parents say, well, the team needs him or the team needs her. Folks, God's team needs him or her more because we're not trying to win a trophy that's just going to sit on a mantle. We're trying to defeat the very forces of hell. And when we let them miss worship for a ball game or whatever it is, we're speaking so loudly about what's really important. And by the way, I love sometimes when I see young people coming in on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night in a dirty ball uniform. Isn't that just a wonderful sight to see? Because it shows they're enjoying those things and learning, but they're learning there's something even more valuable in life. Will we stand in front of our children for the word of God at worship? Number two. Will we stand when we are at home? We can come to worship every single Sunday and we can sing our heart out, but our kids really know what we believe, what we stand for, by what goes on in our homes, if you please, Monday through Saturday. Are we standing for God's Word in our home? But how can we do that consistently? I I don't have that down perfectly. The list is endless, of course, but let me give you four things. I think they're handing the handouts now, and I think these are on there. Four things that I think will help each of us. Number one, have family Bible study time. And any time I mention that, and I've been asked to speak on that specifically a couple of times in family seminars and so forth, sometimes I get responses like, well, we just don't have time. Or the most common thing I get is we just don't know what to do. If you can open a Bible and read a few verses, you can do it. You can spend time in fervent prayer with your family. But the more often your children see you sitting around on the couch or around a table with an open Bible or just talking about spiritual things or singing hymns together or praying together, trust me, your children are going to learn that the Bible really is the center of all that is done in that home. But on the flip side of that, if the Bible only ever gets opened or even pulled off a shelf on Sunday morning, that speaks volumes as well. Secondly, pray together as a family regularly. Pray at meals even when you're out and about, even at a restaurant, pray before going to bed. Pray when there are major decisions to make and let your children have a part in those prayers. Pray when there's stress going on in your life. First Thessalonians 5.17 continues to tell us to pray without ceasing. Our kids see whether we do that or not. Our kids see if we really cast all of our cares on God or not, or if we just try to take care of everything ourselves. Number three, don't entertain yourselves with sinful things. This is the type of decision where the rubber meets the road. It may seem like a small thing, but if we show, if you please, chinks in our armor when it comes to what we allow into our home by way of entertainment, through internet or movies or video games or music or television or whatever it is, our kids are going to see that we don't really stand for what we say we stand for. For several years, I meant to ask you before we started how long it's been, but it's been a long time. Friday nights when we are at home is movie night. We've done that for years now. Seven or eight or nine or maybe more than that. We've watched scores of movies, but we review them ahead of time. Do they take God's name in vain? Is there cursing in the movie? If the answer is yes, and we know that ahead of time, we don't watch them. Yes, that means we've watched a lot of cartoons in our house over the last several years, but that's okay. I am not going to allow, intentionally allow, Satan to enter my home through my television set. And I'm not going to let my kids think for a moment that we just allow that sort of stuff because, well, it's just entertainment. Do we allow ourselves to be entertained by the very things that sent Jesus to the cross? Number four, get caught with your Bible. By that I mean, set the example. Do your children ever see you with an open Bible in your home? Or are you the one scrambling around on Sunday morning trying to remember where you left it last Sunday night after worship service? At the very least, should they not see us from time to time considering what God has to say? Parents, grandparents, whoever it is, it starts with us. Our heart has to be firmly fixed on making sure the Bible is the center of all that we do. Will our children see us stand in the home? Number three, will our children see us stand even we must go against what is popular? Some things are just popular in our world, but folks, just because something is popular does not make it right. That can be true across society in general. It can also be true just in a local community or a neighborhood or whatever. But Christians are not called to be one with society. We are called to shine as lights in the world. Matthew 5, 16. And Paul wrote about that as well in the book of Philippians. There are so many things in our society that are considered popular, just normal. But our kids need to see that we stand firm on the Word of God, no matter what it might cost us, no matter how unpopular it makes us. For example... Our kids are being raised in a world, of course, that says that you cannot be kind and loving unless you tolerate, even promote, homosexuality. Many of our own young people may not agree with the lifestyle, but they're losing the ability to stand against it. It is true that we must teach and preach the truth in love, Ephesians 4 and verse 15, but it is still the truth that practicing homosexuality is a sin. And we will not tolerate it in our house. Even in the television shows we watch, the movies we watch, we will also certainly not go along with it. And the reason is because it's against the Word of God. Our society says that if you're in certain settings, like maybe at a ball game or out on the fishing boat or on a business trip, in those cases it's okay to to take a drink or two or three because it's just unsocial to, to avoid those kind of things. But Christians know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we're not going to do anything intentionally to harm our bodies, no matter what society may say is popular in certain settings. Our society says that going to a dance is just part of the school experience. It's no big deal if a guy and a girl who aren't married dance together. It's no big deal. But Christians remember that one of the works of the flesh is lasciviousness, which is the handling of males and females in a way that's not chaste or wholesome. So we won't promote dancing between those who are not married because we would not want our children handling one another in that way. Our culture says you can't really still stand up and say anything is wrong. So you just need to adapt to the lifestyle that's around you. But Christians know that the world, even though not everything in it is bad, is a place that's not fully right. That much is for certain. And we must not just go along with whatever others are doing in order just to stay popular. We cannot lose our soul just because we want to fit in. Parents, that may mean that you make a decision that doesn't make sense to anybody else, even fellow Christians, It may mean you have to put your foot down and say no even when a child is throwing a hissy fit. It may mean you say no to something that you did when you were young because you now realize that it was wrong. But our goal was not to be popular. Our goal is to be godly and to stand on the word of God even when it's not popular. And number four, we must stand with our children see us stand even when God's word goes against what our children are doing Of all the things we consider tonight, this is probably the most difficult. What happens when a child, maybe a teenager, maybe now a young adult, is doing something that goes against the word of God? What will be our choice? Will we simply look the other way? Will we change our view on what Scripture says? Or will we stand for what the Bible says? I've seen it happen over and over again, not here, but many many places just looking across the, the brotherhood when someone has a child who does something wrong and within a few weeks or months, all of a sudden the, the views, if you will, of that parent change toward what the Bible teaches. I've seen it happen when it comes to drinking. I've seen it happen when it comes to divorce, remarriage. I've even seen it happen on views of homosexuality because a child, now a young adult, has fallen into one of those things. And because the child, now all of a sudden, according to the parent, it's just okay. I know it's hard. And I know I'm saying some things right now that are probably hitting some people right in the heart. But I want to say this. If you are holding fast to the Word of God, even though it may be difficult, you are doing the right thing. And God will bless you and remember you for remembering that He always comes first. Remember that the the father of the prodigal son for a time had to let Him go. The first of the Ten Commandments... Very clearly stated, you shall have no other gods before me. And we often talk about how an idol is anything that comes between us and God. Or anything we put before God. It doesn't have to be as Moses would go on to write. Or God would actually go on to write in those commandments. It doesn't have to be a a graven or a carved image. It doesn't have to be some forged piece of metal. It could be our own flesh and blood. That's why Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And... Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 37. I love my children more than they know. But do I really love God more? I pray I never have to face such a thing. And I pray that no one does. But if we do, we must stand for God first. And place Him at the first of our lives. Parents and grandparents and elders and Bible school teachers and anybody else who has influence over our children... We hopefully get the point. Our children need to see that we live by a higher standard than the world. Our kids need to see that God really is first in every aspect of our life. And that we're not just giving Him lip service every so often when we walk into a church building. For several hours, those kids in Nehemiah chapter 8 watched as their parents literally stood as the Word of God was read. But do you remember how we started this lesson a few minutes ago? It was after that happened... That that feast of booths, that Old Testament feast, was restarted and done in the way that God commanded. It was after that that the people confessed their sins and rededicated their lives to God, asking for forgiveness and and dedicated themselves to His service. What's my point? What's my point? What if the parents and leaders had stood to hear the Word of God read and then just went about their merry way and did whatever they really wanted to do? would that standing have had any impact? Would would that have changed not just their lives, but impacted their children? Of course not. We must, whether in this room, in our homes, in our communities, wherever we happen to be, we must never waver one inch from following the Word of God. Because when and if we do, our children know What really comes first in our lives? I know that's an impossible standard because we are human. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. But our goal must be that no matter what, we will do as we sang tonight and be standing on the promises of God. That we will do as we sang tonight and stand up, stand up for Jesus. In reality, That's how we really love our children the best. Because they see a consistency, a faith, and a dedication that they simply do not see anywhere else in this world. Whether it's parents, whether it's grandparents, whether it's elders, whether it's Bible school teachers, or whether tonight you're just someone who is here who just has influence over a child somewhere, I need to ask all of us, will they see us stand? Will they see us consistently stand, only and always, for the Word of God? I love the book of Nehemiah. And one reason I love it is because you have these little pictures such as you see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Where this man simply opened the law book and started reading. And the people stood up out of respect. But I love what it led to. It led to revitalization. It led to reformation. It led to repentance. And it could have led to a whole other generation who loved God's word just that much too. I'm going to extend the word's invitation in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to take just a moment and pray together. I want us to pray for our parents. I want us to pray for our families. I want us to pray for our children. So would you take a moment and pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have blessed us in this life with family. We're thankful that you've blessed us with the joy of having children, with the joy of seeing children, even if we don't have children of our own, that we get the joy of seeing young people grow up and see the wonderful things they learn to do and are excited about. We even get joy sometimes over seeing them fail but recover because they're learning how to live in this life where not all goes well all the time. But Father, tonight, our challenge to this lesson, our thoughts have been centered on those of us who have influence over children in some way. And Father, tonight we pray for parents, those who have newborn babies, those who have little children, those who have teenagers, those who have maybe young adults still at home. Those who have been parents and those who are know it is a challenge. But we also know that you have given us that challenge because you believe we can do it. And Father, our prayer is that we will do it, that we'll stand for your word in our homes, that our children will see that though we're not perfect, that you come first in every decision that we make. We pray for grandparents and others who are a little bit older but who continue to have influence over those precious children. Help them to support parents. Help them to live the right kind of example. Help them to share godly wisdom into the lives of these young people. And Father, help the young people to listen. We pray for our elders, our Bible school teachers, those who will be teaching in vacation Bible school in a few weeks. We pray simply for this church that children will see that all those who worship here, who lead, who teach, who do anything, live a life that puts your word center in everything it's done, not just in this building, but whether they're on the ball field, whether they're at their jobs, whether they're at homes, just walking around their neighborhoods, that you're first. And Father, bless our children. They're a gift from you. And whether they're just a few months old or several years old. We pray that we'll shoot our arrows toward heaven every day. Father, bless our children with a love for you and excitement to learn your word. And Father, help the children to know that their parents aren't perfect. None of us is perfect. But help them to see the good that so many people try to do. In raising them to love you. So that should your son tarry. There will be another generation that loves you. And puts you first in all things. And through your son we offer this prayer. Amen. The Lord's invitation is always open. Tonight we invite those who may have never put Christ on in baptism. If you have never started that Christian walk. We pray that tonight you will. That you will see that God sent his son into this world in order to save you, to save every person. And all he requires is that you respond to him in faith and that faith will lead you to turn from sin and repentance, will lead you to confess that he is Lord and Savior and will lead you to be immersed, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've never done that, tonight's the night to do it. Maybe tonight you have done that and maybe you're not living in such a way that Sets that example before children. It sets that example before others. And maybe tonight you want us to pray for your forgiveness. Or maybe tonight you just need encouragement. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent who needs encouragement just to do better. Maybe it's not a sinful thing. Maybe it's just discouragement. And you want us to pray with you to encourage you to keep going, to keep teaching, to keep standing. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come always stand and sing to encourage you.